Welcome to the Inner Revolution Show, where we take a journey within to uncover the inner resources deep within our soul to transform physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It is through this higher sense of knowing we are able to design and live our lives with purpose, compassion, and for the collective consciousness. Are you ready to start your own inner revolution? Come with me. Welcome to the Inner Revolution Show, everyone. I am your host, Dr. Renee, and welcome back yet for another amazing episode. Season three is moving along, and we have amazing guests week in and week out. As I say every single week and at the start of every show, those of you who continue to listen to our show, who have written reviews of our show, and definitely who follow and subscribe, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. And we do ask that if you are not currently following our show, that you go ahead to iTunes and go ahead and follow us there under the Inner Revolution with Dr. Renee. And we are so excited to be on Spotify now as well. And we are currently in 26 countries worldwide. We are so excited about our reach and we are hoping that will continue to grow and expand. I know that we are still looking to move into Antarctica. I know that's silly, but there's researchers down there. So what the heck, let's try to get down there, you know? But anyway, we're really excited to keep this show going. And this week is another amazing show. If you remember last week's show, we had the kickoff to a series of individuals who are overcoming adversity, challenges, limitations like no other, and really inspiring us through their stories that we can overcome anything that we desire. And you know that's the purpose here of the Inner Revolution show, that we go deep within our own inner landscape, uncover, examine those things, cultivate those things, and excavate those things that we're looking to really bring out into the world and be able to live our lives through service to others. And so our guest tonight is actually an amazing individual. Again, someone I met on Instagram, as I always seem to, and she is absolutely inspiring people out there, particularly women who have faced adversity. And who am I talking about? I'm talking about Debbie Bebo. And Debbie is a phenomenal woman. She is currently living in Canada. She is a single mother. She has faced significant trauma and adversity, and she's going to share her story with us today. But she is someone who I have been talking recently about in many of my posts, those of us who have found our purpose through our pain. And she currently has the Skin I'm In experience on Instagram and Facebook that we're going to talk about today. And she also is the host of a show called Real People, Real Stories. And we'll talk a little bit more about that and has a phenomenal um, announcement to make about a chapter in a book that she is currently working on. So Debbie, are you with us? I sure am. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing wonderful today. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm so excited. I know this has been something in the making for the two of us, so I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's, it's taken a few big steps for me to, to uh, align and for this to align, but I'm really happy that it is now. 
Yeah. And you know, it's everything in the divine plan, isn't it? Like the minute that we think we know it's time for something, you know, that thing just shows up and says, nope, not quite yet. There's something else I want you to think about or do. And, you know, this definitely has been this experience. And so I know that this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful show. But for our listeners, can you, you know, who might not be familiar with you on Instagram, as many of mine probably are, but can you talk a little bit more about your story, um, particularly about what sort of has led you to be, you know, working through these platforms that you're currently working through right now. Yeah, definitely. I would love to help. Um, well, about five years ago, I, I was 200 pounds heavier than I am now. So I used to be 385 pounds. Wow. I did receive gastric bypass surgery in Canada. It's covered. Um, and I've lost that weight. And in doing so, um, I, I had bought in my camera around the same time, actually, mm-hmm. that I was starting to lose the weight because I wanted to document other people's stories and journeys while they lost their weight. Um, so when someone loses a lot of weight, there's a lot of skin left behind. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not it's not something that is really talked about in any of the courses. It wasn't really talked as a as a problem so I just thought oh well I'll be okay but it was a real um real issue for me personally um I had to in order to accept it I had to have weird enough I had to have other people accept it (laughs) so I got really brave and got in front of a camera um one of my photographer friends who runs a humans of Edmonton experience I told him I wanted to show the world what I'm hiding and write about it and bear my whole soul, my whole everything to the world. And so he was jumped right on that. And I, I was brave. And so the story of the skin I'm experience, that's how that was born. What an amazing quote you just said. I wanted to show the world what I'm hiding. That may have to be the name of this show. I never name the shows until after <laughs> we're done because, you know, we, you just don't know what's organically going to come out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But talk a little bit more about that because I think that's really significant. I want to show the world what I'm hiding. And so, you know, going through the weight loss and really having the skin sort of become the catalyst, right? It wasn't really the mm-hmm. cause, but just sort of was the catalyst for opening up all of the wounds that probably were were laid in deep within. What else did you want to share? Well, that basically that it's okay to be not perfect. I think we put so much pressure on ourselves. I know I definitely did. And I, I was very good at hiding the skin. I was very good at wearing the right clothes. Nobody had any idea that I was struggling. I was struggling in silence. I was suffering in silence. Every time I'd take off my clothes, I, w- I would never... I wouldn't hate my body. I never got that far, but I was very ashamed of it because it looked different. It looked, it looked scary and meeting new people, new, I'm single. So dating was really hard for me. I'd have to almost put on a three layers of masks in order to cover up who I truly was. And this was a way of me taking off my masks and saying, here, this is me in my perfectly imperfect state. And I love me. And I, you know, here, here is a big F you to anyone who might think differently. Right. Yeah. Kudos to you. I need to like cue up a little applause. It seems like many times in these shows, I'm like, I have to get that going because you deserve (laughs) kudos in that moment. So, so talk to me a little bit about your, your little one. I mean, obviously as a single mom and, and seeing you go through this weight loss and this recovery, um, how, how, 
you know, I'm assuming you have a child. I'm not going to say children here, but child. Um, how do they feel about everything? I have one child. He's the light of my life. He is so happy for me. He was a little bit worried during the surgery process because it, sure. it was painful, but he is my biggest cheerleader and tells me every day how beautiful I am no matter what he no matter what I looked like, he said, I'm beautiful. And I, I just hope one day that he uh, finds a perfect wife or partner that that can accept him for who he is all. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing how children are. I was talking with another guest just recently who um, experienced an amputation in his life. And he talked about how mean people were to him after the amputation and mm. how they treated him so differently. Yet it was the children who were kind and loving mm. and excited about, you know, his leg and, you know, what it looked like now and those kinds of things. So after your surgery, I mean, did you find that, you know, people were relatively, you know, you said you were suffering in silence, but I mean, once you sort of came out or, you know, exposed that part of you to those people, were people relatively understanding? Did they push you away? How did they react? There was not one negative comment. And that was over, I think there's over tw almost 20,000 followers on the Skinnaman experience or on um, uh, the humans at Edmonton experience. And there was not one I looked, I searched, I didn't even read all my story. I was just too busy looking for a bad comment. And um, if you check out the Skinnaman experience, I actually take you through, there's three parts of it. The first part is me coming out basically about my whole story and my, how I grew up in a, in a very codependent relationship with my mother. We ate together. That's one thing that kept us best friends. And I, I was bullied, but the food and my mom, we, we came together, right? Um, it, it, uh, it really, I forgot the question, but... <laughs> um, People's reactions to you, it's okay. Yeah, the, the reactions were just absolutely incredible. Um, and the second part of the, of the story that I had written was how was like journal entries of how excited I was to not be judged. I was judging myself and the only way to gain acceptance from myself was by potentially being unaccepted by other people. Wow. And I, I had to lay it all bare. I had, I had to lay it out. And after that, I just felt so supported and I go back every once in a while if I'm feeling bad about myself or anything, I just go back to the comments and just read how genuine and honest they are. It's just beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think anytime someone makes themselves vulnerable into transformation and transcendence, it is so critical and important for all of us to really honor that and, and acknowledge that and validate that because it's such a difficult journey. I'm sure you probably must have had many highs and lows. Can you, can you talk about what the, you know, as I was saying in my live the other day, you know, was listening to our really common song about we're more than the value of our highs and lows, right? But mm -hmm. those highs and lows seem to define us at times and we tend to get fixated and stuck there. So, so what were some of your highs and lows through the process? Well, the acceptance of myself was probably the biggest high and low <laughs> because there's certain times you're just like, yeah, I got this. And then other times it just tinks and crashes. Even if like being 385 pounds, 10 pounds never meant anything to me then because it was just 10 pounds. But now that I'm 
under 200, 10 pounds is huge. And I feel like a big whale again, if I gain weight. And it's like, I used to tease people and be like, Hey, you gained 10 pounds. That's nothing compared to what I am. But Mm -hmm. it really is. It's like two dress sizes and you can really get down on yourself and looking in the mirror. I have body body dysmorphia. I, I don't recognize myself when I see in the mirror. It doesn't, hasn't caught up with my physical appearance and that can really, or Daisy feel bloated. You can, you, you feel the same way you did when I, when I was like at 385 pounds. So it just, you ha- I have to be really conscious of how I speak to myself and because how I spoke to myself before wasn't loving. And so it's just common and it's just a knee jerk reaction to wince in the mirror when I look at myself, but then I have to actually really concentrate on loving and looking with love and compassion, just like how everyone who saw my picture looked at me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because um, I actually did a research study years ago where I went behind the scenes of, you know, these fitness competitions and bodybuilding competitions um, and interviewed women who were, you know, at the top of their game. And, you know, really even in that space where they didn't have, you know, weight problems in the way that we think of weight problems, but anytime that they would come off of the competition and start to see that bloat come back. And things like that, after seeing themselves in such lean perfection, um, they they experience the same thing. And, you know, again, it's so important if we think about transformation here, everyone, as you're listening to the inner revolution, that all transformation is significant and important, but all safeguards need to be put in place and having a support network and knowing the tools that we need to have in place. We don't have to wait till we have our breakdowns to be in therapy. We can go to therapy whenever we wish, you know? You know, we can, you know, have these safe people in our lives. So, so who did you find was your sort of support network? Who helped you in these? Well, yeah, I, I was on a very amazing, it's called Daily Strength uh, for um, anybody who has any kind of bariatric, I, who, want, who wants to know more about it or who has had it and their successes, there's, there's the real, the good, the bad and the ugly, I guess you can call it. Yeah. And that was my main support before I even decided to get the surgery, my mom was a frontier and got it. She lost 270 pounds. Wow. And she was my, my support because she, she's just done amazing and had her, she had a tummy tuck and a breast lift and all the surgery that needed to be done. And she was my, my, uh, I was her cheerleader and she was my cheerleader and I, I followed her, her steps. And so she, she was a major support system, but online, really look for the ones that support you and 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 ask questions and I think just having friends like there, there's so many people that came after I had surgery and came and brought my coffee that I had no idea I've never met them but they came and they wanted to support me and I've made such an amazing circle of friends after I've pretty much essentially came out um I have such a new new life with all these amazing new friends it's just incredible so don't be afraid to to let your let your light shine you might think you're dimming it by by being vulnerable but it's actually just brightening it yeah and there's something to be said as as you mentioned the minute that we move into the light that we're meant to be in and we truly begin to shine through that those who are like us and seeking the same path of as us always find us right yeah and i've met so many beautiful people like 
I can't believe it. My, my, my circle was good before, but now I just have to, I, I don't even have to reach out. They reach out to me and see how I'm doing. And like, I, I, I'm going through a major, a lot of hormones when you get uh, surgery and lose a lot of weight, you, there's a lot of hormone imbalances. Plus there was trauma that happened prior to me getting the surgery, actually a couple of days before that happened. Uh, before I had surgery, something traumatic happened to me. And so I had PTSD and I was diagnosed with bipolar point two, bipolar type one, I'm sorry. And it was just, um, it's just nice to know that there's people in your corner. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I was going to ask you, because you mentioned codependency, and that is something that um, I definitely have faced in my own life. I would say if there was a darkest part to my shadow work that I had to do over the course of my many years on this planet, um, the codependency was the the last thing that mm -hmm. I believed to be true about myself. I faced mm -hmm. anxiety. I faced panic. I had PTSD after my house fire. I was um, date raped when I was a teenager. There were there were so many things that were my story. Cancer, you know, failed marriage marriage, you know, all these kinds of things I could willfully talk about and just put out there. The codependency thing though, nah, mm -mm, no, that was one thing I was in denial of, even though it was the key to everything. And when I finally began to really excavate that, that one was hard for me. So can you talk a little bit, and I'm still doing work. I think that's going to be a lifelong journey for me, but um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you really were able to recognize the codependency in your life and then what you've done to sort of, you know, begin sure. to, to push through that. Yeah. Well, growing up, our life was very hectic. I was the youngest out of three daughters and they were giving my mom a run for her money and my parents. And mm -hmm. I decided at a very young age, very young actually, that I would become my mom's friend instead of putting her through more. Yeah. So I decided to be her friend and that was my choice. And and that's what that was my survival tactic at that time. And so, whenever we she would be stressed, I would always make sure I was with her, so we could go together to go eat. So we would go eat out in like uh, drive-throughs probably three times a day, and still have supper, still have lunch, still have breakfast. It was very. Uh, it wasn't unhealthy. Well, it was because we gained weight together, but it was a very codependent, as in. I I needed her and she needed me and and it was we still have a friend relationship um but what had gotten me out of it and actually re made me realize it when I when I was about 17 I had to move to Ontario for 6 months to help my auntie and I went there and kind of cut the umbilical cord so to speak yeah. finally after 17 years and when I came back it wasn't nearly as connected and then when she got her surgery, we couldn't eat together anymore. And I had to, like, I was really sad because I had to say goodbye to my best friend, which was my mom. Mm -hmm. I felt I had to change that. Yeah. Yeah. And I that, see that. That's when I, I decided to have the surgery as well. So then we could have something to bond over instead of just food. Uh, so so in, in a way, it was in a way to keep the connection to get the surgery, but it actually freed me from it. You know, it, it's really interesting that you bring up this whole premise of, of food and the culture of food. And mm -hmm. so many of our families, it is the heart and the foundation of what people do. And my family wasn't like that. My family was very, very different. I think our 
you know, cultural group and things like that. We're, we're very much known for intermittent fasting, living off the land, nothing is excessive and in a Norse culture, you know, but, but in, in some ways, um, having been exposed to other countries and had the ability to travel to India recently was, was absolutely beautiful. But I remember everyone just like, did you eat? Did you eat? Are you eating? And you know, if I didn't eat the whole plate, you know, they would be so hurt by it. And I was so pressured to eat and to eat and to eat. And of course, I found myself really, really sick both times because that's just not part of what I do. But you know, it was interesting as we were talking about it in India, how common that is as a, a way of love, right? And mm-hmm. something that we just see as caring. So, you know, did you find any of those patterns kind of moving? into your own relationship as a parent or were you just really aware of those things and and avoided those in your own parental style? I was very aware of what I could have projected onto him to make food a source or a friend or or a source of love. I had to break up with my relationship with food. Mm -hmm. Food is there to nurture me and to feed me. It's not there to be my friend. It's not there as I used it as a crutch to be something when I was uh, stressed out. I still do emotionally eat sometimes, but with my son, I knew that I could project it onto him. I I chose a conscious decision not to, and he eats when he's hungry and he stops when he's full. He's never looking, he doesn't eat to, to find comfort like I used to. So I'm really, really happy that I made a very conscious decision to not make food his comfort so he can comfort himself. Um, I, I, I wanted him to be very independent and he, he is, he's very emotionally uh, enlightened and very, uh, he, he's, he's a lot ahead, farther ahead than most adults, I can say. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm the same. I think as I grew up with anxiety and panic, I was very, very conscious of the things that I would say or how I would act, you know, those kinds of things. And I think it's important for the parents who are listening to the show not to get overwhelmed or worried, just use it as a space of awareness, um, come into an understanding of what we are and what we've been exposed to and those kinds of things. But in the ultimate unbecoming, as I always espouse from my book, it is possible to break those chains, break those cycles. And it seems like you're definitely doing that um, in this moment. So we are very proud of you and the work that you're doing here. Thank you so much. It's not easy. And I, I always, I always joked that I was lazy growing up and doing the work actually really helps me um, realize that I am not, I'm not lazy. I am just, no. I like easy way. I like the easy way. Who doesn't want to take an easy road yeah. rather, rather than the other path? So I am taking the easy road, but it's also a lot of personal work. It takes a lot of energy to do the inner inner work and inner child work. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And so let's talk a little bit more about your platform. Let's talk about the Skin I'm In experience. And you, you, you mentioned to us, you know, how it sort of evolved and, and some of the things that you were doing. But, but what does this really mean to you? And, and what are you really hoping to accomplish with this? Well, with my photography, I, I, I'm very artistic. I love telling a story through my perception. I see the world a lot differently than most people. I see the beauty in it. I see the opportunities. I see, I see people's souls. 
And so my goal is to show people, and it's not just women, it's really hard to get men, but to show men and women just how beautiful they are to me in their purely perfectly imperfect state. Yeah. Um, It's so important for me to show them that what I see is pure beauty, no judgment, just love. And one of the, one of the participants um, I posted in the weight loss surgery group about people who want to be part of the program, like the, um, the project. And uh, she came to me after and said that the, the, because she did this, it saved her life. She was suicidal. She was going to kill herself that night. Mm. Um, and that, that alone no, makes me know that I am doing, I'm on the right path and I'm doing the right thing because we all have a story. We all have, we all have to be comfortable in the skin we're in. If we're not, then who are we? What are we doing here if we're not comfortable with who we are? Absolutely. Absolutely. And isn't it amazing how we don't recognize, we just do our work every day. We get up, we put these posts out, we write these stories, these blogs, we post these pictures and and tell these stories, but it's never really clear the impact we're having on people until you hear from that one person that they were thinking about leaving the planet that day. And what an astounding, amazing, you know, gift that was for you to be able to give to her to to recognize to stay. And I'm wondering too, in your own life, you know, did, you know, have you ever had any of those moments, not necessarily suicidal, but I mean, you know, obviously any of those moments where, you know, people really sort of were able to inspire you, motivate you, um, encourage you that you want to share? Yeah, definitely. Well, the whole reason I was able to start the Skinnaman experience is because I shared my story of being raped on the Humans at Edmonton experience mm. with Jerry Cordero. He's just one of the most beautiful people I've ever met. And we didn't meet by random. I loved his photography. He sees people's souls like I do. And he does. Have you? Are you familiar with the Humans of New York? No, I'm not. I'm going to have oh, to well, look. <laughs> yeah, look up the Humans of Edmonton experience. What he does is he goes around Edmonton and he's very um, ad- an advocate for the homeless and he takes their picture and he does street art and puts it up on the walls and gives stories and, and posts it on his walls so people get to know them. You walk by, you know their name. We don't just walk past them and close our eyes to our homeless population. We actually care about them. And so that's his passion. And when I met him and I told him about what happened to me, he immediately wanted to share my post. He did it anonymously first. And then finally, I, I got up the courage to take my picture and show the world what my story was to come out. And that, that was three-part series two on the Humans Edmonton experience. Without him and his support and all the support from everybody, I don't think I would have been, I would, I know I wouldn't have had the skin experience. I wouldn't have done that because I wasn't um, fully comfortable with my story yet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know that it's an unfortunate commonality that we both share, but it's, but it's one that definitely has gotten us to where we are today. And, yeah. you know, and, and, what else? I mean, if you're comfortable, you know, in that, what other work are you doing, you know, in relation to that area of your life? Well, I, um, I'm writing a book. I'm also um, going to be published in a chapter of a book called Sacred Hearts Rising. I'm in the third book and it's uh, titled Choices and Forgiveness because oh, wow. I want to share with others how important it is, what, no matter, regardless of what happened 
I don't say to you, I say for you, no matter what happened for you, to really get to learn how to forgive, learn that there's three, there's three types of forgiveness. There's three, there's health benefits to forgiving, not just other people, but yourself, most importantly, self, it is starts with other people because obviously did something, but then it goes down and deeper into yourself. So the chapter is about making a choice and choosing to forgive. And I, I share my whole story there, plus how I, plus a formula to forgive, basically. That sounds amazing. So would you be willing to share with the listeners just a little bit more about what you're writing for the book? Sure. It's, um, it's basically, the book is for, it's Sacred Heart Rising, um, and it's compelled by Brenda Hammond, and it's essays of loss, trauma, pain, and survival. And I... I'm just a little backstory. I met Brenda just random. Well, okay, nothing's random anymore. But I met her. <laughs> I met her through Facebook. I I messaged this lady um, named Daphne, and she immediately messaged me, said, "You need to meet these three people." And Brenda Hammond was one of them who compiled these books and um, compiled these books. And I I told her about my story, and she she agreed that I needed to be in this book. Um, um, and I just basically I want to share with the world and other women and other survivors that it, it does hurt. There's going to be pain. There's going to be grief. There's going to be sadness. There's loss, but there's also light at the end of the tunnel. If, if you can not stand in your story, I like saying you want to stand on top of your story. So that way it's a stepping stone instead of quicksand Mm -hmm. and you're stepping, it's not a struggle anymore. It it is a stepping stone to get out of the hole that, that you, you think that you're placed in. Isn't it amazing how we get stuck in our own story at times? yeah. Yeah. I've said this to some people that, you know, I just recently ran a class about rewriting your story sometimes after these traumas because we get caught in the toxic characters. We get caught in the toxic lines. And yes, toxicity can make for a far more interesting story. Uh, Many of us are surely more attracted to those kinds of movies and books and things of that nature. You know, if we just lead a regular life where we just grow up and graduate and we get married, we have kids, it's like, "Eh, okay. You know, it's not very interesting. Of course, our, our lives are highs and lows, but I always caution people not to get caught in the in the toxic dilemmas of our own lives and our own stories. And we can tell that story. Like you said, I love what you just said, getting on top of that story, standing on top of it, because we certainly don't want it to become the crux of, of what we're doing. And it sounds like you're definitely not doing that, young lady. It sounds like you are shining, shining bright, um, which we love to see here in the inner revolution. And I always ask the infamous question as we start to think about moving forward in our lives and the work that we're doing as we look back upon where we've been. One person asked me one time, they said, what, how would you define self-love? And I said, the ultimate definition, essence of, of self-love to me was when we can truly love ourselves and acknowledge all of those who have come before us, who've perished, who've persevered, you know, who have basically laid our path for us and can be in complete total adoration, no matter what has happened in that story. That's, that's true self-love to me. And so I always ask the question that I call the footprint in the sand. As you begin to look back now and think about the impact that you're having and what you hope to sort of leave here 
you know, after your work is done, what is the ultimate aspect of the legacy that you're really hoping sort of continues on after? Um, what I, I would say the self power, um, to empower oneself, um, never take someone else's no as your answer. Um, I, after, after I was raped, I, the officer who came, he projected his opinions about what happened and said that it was my fault, basically, essentially. And I said no immediately. And I made change and I filed a formal complaint. And then um, I went to Global News about it and have a three-part series on Global News, which is a local news station. Um, within three months, there was there was a card that was formulated because I, I, I even said, I, this is going to change how, when you first contact the RCMP, how they come to a, a door, they need, need to send two officers or not just one lone officer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I created this card. I didn't create it, but I, I helped create it that needs to be given out to every single officer at every single opportunity that there's a rape case or a uh, domestic violence case with with empathy on the front and on the back. It's a list of resources that uh, are open 24-7. All I got was a little card with with uh, without the badge number of the officer even, um, and it wasn't 24 hours. So I say, be your own advocate. Um, the footprint I want to leave behind is change. I, I want to create change. There, there's something missing and and there, there, I need solutions. I can't just have complaints. Don't make a complaint. Make three viable solutions to each problem that you have. That way you can share that and put it out in the world and it'll it'll happen. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And is there anything else at this point in our journey as we are getting close to wrapping up with the interview that you want to share with our listeners about anything that you're doing, um, working on, anything like that? Well, if, if anyone who is interested in burying their soul and literally burying their whole body and their journey to contact me, um, I'm not traveling yet, but that is definitely a goal of mine to get enough participants in different parts of the country and the world and go and travel and share their stories because everyone's story is important. It's just, um, it's a matter of learning how to not stand in it and how to stand on top of it and grow from it. So that that's basically it's an invitation to let me know if you do have a story that you want to share. Um, and I, I, I would love to come and, and uh, show your soul to yourself. <laughs> oh, that would be beautiful. I've always wanted to be brave and, and do some of that type of work. Now, as a public employee, I'm always limited in what I can do in photography. But um, one of the things I've really wanted to do was do this whole series on love, you know, and what that would look like emotionally and um, just kind of do a variety of different black and whites in a way of just expressing emotion and those kinds of things. So I'm open to that. If you can think of some ideas down the road, oh, yeah. we could, we that could would collaborate. Be- yeah, they should work fun. together. That would be incredible. Yeah, even children, you know, and different expressions, yep. things like that would be so much, so much fun. <laughs> I certainly have, have wanted to bear my soul in many ways, but that doesn't always work out. So, yeah. Well, as we are wrapping up here, can you go ahead and let our listeners know how they can reach out to you? Yes. Um, if you check out Instagram, it's called the Skin I'm In Experience. Also on Facebook, they have the full stories on there. I do share a lot of 
um, just daily inspirational quotes that help me. So if you, if you agree with it or if you love it, then show me the like and the love. Um, you can also, the book's coming out September 28th, Sacred Hearts Rising. Um, you can check it out on Amazon. Um, it's the third book. I forget. It's not, I forget what it's called, but there's three beautiful angels on the front, one male. So this is a compilation of male men and women who decided to stand on top of their story, not, not in it. And if you're interested in reading my chapter, I'm in there. Oh, well, thank you so much for being with us today on The Inner Revolution. This has been an absolute pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. And I just, I feel this is, this is the completion to uh, taking the first step in my journey. So I'm really, really uh, grateful that you had me on. Oh, and you're welcome here anytime, my dear. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And listeners here in the Inner Revolution, lots of wonderful nuggets in this show today. But the big one really was when Debbie said, I wanted to show the world what I was hiding. What are you hiding? What are you afraid to look to? Again, as I sort of talk about all the time on my platform, there is a shadow for a reason. And many of us are called to our purpose through our shadow. Don't be afraid to look in that box. Don't be afraid to look in the dark. There are many beautiful things inside that space that maybe you're calling your purpose. And the reason that you are here is there when you're looking in the wrong space. So for the inner revolution, everyone, I'm Dr. Renee, and we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Inner Revolution Radio Show. If you haven't already done so, check us out on iTunes. And also check out our website at www.transcendentheart.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Dr. Renee One Life. Have yourself an amazing week.